Tuesday night, just like any other. I was sipping a cold glass of shitty scotch and pondering the important questions in life, like, where could I get more shitty scotch? A man walked into the podcast like a plane barrels down a runway, ready to go on air. His legs went up to his waist in a normal leg-waisty way. I was instantly attentive. He looked at me, cold panic in his eyes, and I knew I had a case. And he said, Hello. Detective Freeman. I'm Scott. Scott Daly. And I've got quite a story for you. It all started two years ago when we started reading this book. Now, I want you and I to eagerly dive into Wildo's world of improper use of snakes, creepy photographers, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Arc 13 Black continues with chapters 13.5 and 13.6. Our two detectives set out to solve the mystery of the diary. The trail leads them to Ratcatcher and Big Picture, two failed foresight applicants that are creepy in their own special ways. When our sleuths get close to a break in the case, all Sveta breaks loose. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters, Mr. Detective? Well, these are, uh, these are super fun. Really enjoying this arc so far. Um, uh, basically... Just, I'm loving everything about how this arc is coming together, and I, I actually just want to get into it as quickly as possible because um, it, it's really in the details of the execution that um, th- that I find the fun to be. So, yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, let's just do it. Um, yeah. I have I have a lot of things to say about like the overall like style and structure of what Wildbo is doing here, but I think it's best to just say those in the middle of the chapters themselves. So. Uh, let's just do it. Let's okay. do it. Waste no time. Yeah. All right. Um, first uh, quarterly fan art contest. Um, what's what's the theme this this time, Scott? Yeah. So we've decided on that. We got a bunch of different ideas for the themes. I like them all. One of the most recurring ones we got was the theme of relationships. So that's what we're going to go for here. Your theme for the fan art contest this quarter is relationships. Take that wherever you want to take it. We leave it open to you guys. <laughs> if every single one of you, you want to submit. Uh, pictures of Ashtoria, just do it. Just knock yourself out. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I have no idea where people are going to take this one. <laughs> um, entries are going to be due Monday, May 27th by midnight Pacific time. Um, by the time that you got, that everyone is listening to this, uh, this podcast, the, uh, Formal rules of the contest should be out on our webpage. So if you head to doofmedia.com, you'll find the details. We'll also put those in the show notes for this episode. So there you can find all the details on the contest, the rules, the prize, all of that stuff. But uh, we're really excited about this. It's been a while since we got to do one of these. March's madness kind of got in the way for one a little bit. But it's over and uh, we're ready. We're ready to to see the drawings again. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite uh, time of quarter of the year. Yeah. The time. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so start start drawing, start painting. I don't I don't know how people are using start computers, start arting. using yeah. your your Wacom tablet. Do that stuff. Yeah, and uh, we can't wait to see what you guys got. Okay, all right. Chapter thirteen dot five, and we're picking up. We left off last week with Tattletale and and Terry's starting their joint effort to solve the mystery of the fake diary. Tattletale's first action is to employ Chicken Little to join them on the mission. 
Victoria approves of Kenzie's professional attitude toward the job. Yeah. And I, I love, we start off here and I'm like, the funny thing is we talked so much last week about like how excited we were about the potential of going to this kind of weird, like detective mystery story with these two characters in the lead. And as excited as I was for the potential of it, I'm so happy with the execution of it. Right. We start off immediately here and there's a certain tone to it. There's like we, we immediately bring Chicken Little into it, which is a delightful little little kernel of of added interest to this. And I love like con- connecting to what we talked about last week. There's these moments of Victoria like being silently thrilled with how much Kenzie is learning. And I might be reading a little too much into things, but that's what I do. And to me, this is another example of Victoria unsure of who she is and and what the diary is saying about her trying to like silently firm up those connections with people in her mind. Right. Like last week, she she said to herself, I bet Ashley chooses that one. And she was right. And it was like, ah, yes, Ashley chose that one this time. It's like I told Kenzie about these things that she should ask, these questions that, that she should ask. And look. She's doing them. And that's to me in her mind. She's like saying, "Okay, this is I'm I'm reaffirming. This is how I'm connected to this group. I care about them. They care about me. This vision of myself that I see in this diary is not accurate. And I'm kind of reinforcing that internally. And I like I like that we're continuing down this line because it kind of shows Victoria is still in the in the like like in the lurch because of this diary. Yeah, but I think she's finding her feet like she's not thinking to herself um, it's, it sounds false. It sounds hollow, which is what she was thinking last, uh, last chapter when she was sort of yeah. trying the same thing. So I think, yeah, she is, she is trying to, to regain her, her footing and I think she's succeeding. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think, I think having a mission helps with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's got a goal, she's going towards the goal. Um, she's going to figure this out and that, that like calms her down a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, so, you know, worth, worth mentioning how delightful this pair of chapters <laughs> is overall, yeah, because of the character interactions like we got Tattletale embarrassing Darlene, Chicken Little advocating for accepting a substantial fraction of their pay in barbecue, saying <laughs> roadkill is worth three hundred dollars. Uh, Victoria being proud of the kids for hardballing her uh, and knocking off fifty dollars if Antares can bully Tattletale a little bit more. I mean, it's all just completely delightful and and kind of like nonstop too, like the it, it's yeah. fast paced in in the like moments of like, <laughs> um. And we talked last time about how intrinsically interesting this concept is, also about how, you know, Wildbo's playing this this detective story for all it's worth, and he's not missing a single opportunity to extract both some kind of interesting character interaction drama and also just some humor. Um, yeah, a lot of it having to do with this unlikely buddy buddy cop pairing of Tattletail and Vicky. Right. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, maybe in the beginning of the next chapter. But I think it is true that we've we've shifted genres here. We're in this kind of buddy cop detective story now. And it's amazing that we can shift genre in this way. And still our characters still like fall into the tropes. Like a lot of times I think you see in like long form storytelling, like I'm thinking of television shows in particular when they the tv shows have this is going to be like our our noir episode and they like have to bend to their characters a little bit to make them fit within the tropes and the the genre trappings of that particular thing but what i love about this is none of the characters are doing this right victoria and and tattletale perfectly slot into these like cops forced to work together but 
don't really like each other and they have different ways of doing things and they mouth off and awkward and argue against each other like they slot into that and you don't have to do any pulling or stretching or bending of the characters to make them fit into that structure i think that's a te- like that's a testament to how good the writing is and and like like maybe why like he didn't just go here just to go here he he went here because it was the right thing to do for the characters right this isn't like a gimmick that he's forcing onto the story it, it's like an organic direction to take the story in and then once he's done that he has all of the tools of of detective and uh and, and you know cop storytelling to uh right. to, to access and, and to rely on and sort of sort of to use as shorthand too yeah yeah and and like the best detective stories the best mystery stories the central mystery is important it is the overall plot of the movement it is why the characters are together but it matters so much less than what the the sleuthing brings out of the characters the most important part in these two chapters is the uh the disagreements and the discussions and the conversations that are had by the characters as they are investigating this thing as interviews bring forth stuff as uh disagreements bring forth conflict and it's it's like it's it's perfect like it's really perfect and and the thing that i love the most like we have chicken little here little here who is joining the team he's joining the case and for a while we don't understand why right like it's just tattletale says we're borrowing him we need him bring two of your birds and in the back of my mind i think my original explanation for that was oh well she's really protective of him and she doesn't want to leave him alone um especially with her pre-established nerves around kenzie and him being around kenzie and then of course Later, we learn that it's for a much comp- more complicated reason. It's because she thought he could help um, specifically with Ratcatcher. She knew that that was going to happen because she's Tattletale. But I mean, like from a narrative structural reason, the reason why Chicken Little comes on this trip is so he can have the Kenzie conversation with Victoria, right? Like that's why we pull him into the story at this point, because Victoria and him need to have this conversation around Kenzie because I think we're going someplace with Kenzie. But I love that we take the time to explain it in different ways first. So it's like it's, there's that evil word in in writing where people throw around too much called contrived, right? Like this is mm-hmm. too contrived of an interaction. But I don't think you could ever use that word as much as I hate it on this writing because it, it has it's it's stood up with other reasons. And yes, there is an underlying structural reason for it, but it's never the main one. Well, yeah, I think there's multiple reasons. It, it, it's funny because. You were you were saying a second ago, like Tattletale's reasons for bringing Chicken Little is like he she 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 said before way early in the story, like there, I'm always doing things for multiple reasons. Right. And she was kind of being a smart ass at the time. <laughs> but but also it's true, like she did have multiple reasons for wanting to bring Chicken. Like she didn't want to leave him with Kinsey. I think uh, Chicken probably wanted to talk to Victoria. Uh, and then, like on a meta level, Wildbo has reasons for wanting certain characters to be able to have conversations where we can see them. You know, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and we need to understand like Kinsey's in kind of this weird position where I feel like people have, people have remarked about the fact that like out of all of Breakthrough, she's maybe the one who has had her arc, and yet is not in a really like good place. Yeah. Um, where you know, whereas Feta has not had her arc and is in a really bad place. Um, Kinsey has had her arc and is still kind of on the fence, you could say. Yeah. And I think that's great transition because that's what we're going to get into right now. Because Kinsey gives Victoria a hug, uh, which Victoria doesn't really know how to react to. And and, uh, Kinsey admits that she's getting sloppy and breaking her own rules. So Victoria returns the hug, but she tells her to be careful. And overall, she's just not quite sure what to make of it. Yeah. And I, I, 
man, I love Kenzie as a character so much because she just breeds this kind of mixed interact, like this mixed feelings about this interaction. Right. Yeah. Like on the one hand, you're like super happy that like v- Victoria is in a moment right now where she like sees um, herself as as like possibly losing her team. Like there's this diary. And if it comes out, she might lose her team and her friends and her family kind of forever. Um, and, and you have this moment of like Kenzie giving her this hug that kind of maybe reinforces that. But at the same time, in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, God, what if the diary gets out? And then I think a little later, we're going to like see a, a reminder that she still really likes Chris. And then it makes me think, oh, God, what if she reads the diary? And she's just like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, if that's what Victoria wants to do, great. I'm there. But but then on top of that, you have Kenzie breaking her own rules, rules that she set up for an important reason. And and I think I think this is this moment is priming us not only for Victoria and Chicken Little's conversation around Kenzie later in next chapter, but it's priming us for some Kenzie related issues. Right. Because I think we're, we're showing very clearly that the rules that she established, she's falling back on, she's slacking on. We thought maybe this group would be good for her. Um, and it seems like maybe 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 they aren't. Maybe this isn't what she needed. And and she's regressing a little bit. And 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 the, and the chicken nuggets themselves might be activating her worst tendencies, not her best, which uh, makes you really sad because I just want her to be happy. Yeah, exactly. At like a, a big part of you is like, oh, but but she's better now. We yeah, we, right, we, right. we dealt with Kinsey. She's better now. It's like, no, not. I mean, we haven't actually seen any real indications that she has gotten better. She's out of the terrible situation that she was in with her parents, which is obviously a massive improvement over where things were at the start of the story yeah absolutely yeah let's not let's not uh take away that from Mm -hmm. her at all yeah right but it's 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 a matter of degrees right she's still Mm -hmm. she still has um she's still struggling yeah absolutely and i think yeah the hugs are indications of that for sure yep so in the uh in the car with chicken little and snuff victoria thinks about how tattletale seems to talk down to chicken and she takes the opportunity to have a conversation with him about parahuman psychology, which is probably something that would help him understand his peers and himself, but is also just a very on-brand thing for Victoria to be wanting to talk about. Yep. Scholar Victoria, right? Yep. This is a really great moment. And I think we're once again doing this thing that I forgot how earlier, early in the story this whole idea was established because the first time Victoria met Tattletale, I remember us talking about this concept of different methods of parenting, right? We had Chicken Little and we had Kenzie and we had Victoria parenting her kid in a certain way and uh, Tattletale parenting her kid in a certain way. And they it was it seemed like a different method of parenting. And and now we're seeing that brought back into the story again. Lisa treats Aiden like he's a kid in the responsibilities he she gives him, the way that she talks to him. Her extreme protective behavior infantilizes him a bit which uh, I think ties into his general aesthetic, right? Like the, the adorable chicken slippers. Um, he's, he's a little bit, he acts a little bit younger. Um, and then, I mean, the, which pays off in a great moment later in the chapter when he takes off his mask and Victoria's first reaction is, oh, he looks older than I thought he was. Yeah. And it's because she's seeing him through the lens of the way he's treated by everyone else around him. Um, and, and that's contrasted very specifically to Victoria's style. And here Victoria, you know, like, 
says that herself. She says, I feel like I felt like I approached Kenzie as a more of an adult and expected her to keep up. And she was sharp enough to do that with only occasional steering based on what she told me and shown me. She'd been clever enough before triggering. It wasn't a tinker thing. So I think we're once again contrasting Victoria style and Tattletale style. And we're kind of trying to say, OK, which is better and, and which might be better for the other? Like maybe maybe Victoria's style is better for a person like Aiden but maybe Tattletale style might be better for a person like Kenzie. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I think we're just once again kind of talking about these two different styles and and how how they're being employed on the kids and the wards in their service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely also the element that Victoria's style feels very much like uh, Carol's style, right? Like this this is the right, way. Right. This is this is Carol's way of being a mom is is to is to treat you like an adult like expe- expect right. you to deal with your own problem i mean t- to a fault at this point where she's like come on victoria get over your horrible trauma <laughs> and um i i really like your comment that maybe like maybe tattletales way would actually work better on kenzie but but not on aiden because right because tattletales whole thing is a reflection of her being someone who lost someone um because she didn't involve herself enough in, in her mind anyway that's that's her yeah. perspective on what happened and so she's kind of i don't want to say helicoptering but definitely like taking pretty close to it yeah y- yeah be, being overprotective I, I think it's safe to say she's being overprotective um and 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 like you said infantilizing her her ward and maybe actually since since Kinsey never had parents properly uh, maybe she could use more of a like parenting parent like Tattletail and maybe Aiden could use more of a like buck up champ type parent. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I never thought of that. And I think that is kind of the parent that Ashley is mm-hmm. kind of, um, but in a, in a little bit of a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe the, the result of some of the backsliding is that her interactions with Ashley are very further removed. Now she's apart from her. She's talking to her over internet, but not interacting with her directly anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's really this, interesting stuff. This is great because it, it, when I was thinking about all this, it struck me just how much of the story circles around these ideas of parenting and leadership, right? Because Victoria's relationship with her mother is reflected in her relationship with her sister, which is reflected in what happened to her with her sister, which is reflected in why she's choosing to help people, which is reflected in how, how she chooses to help them and how she chooses to parent and how she chooses to lead. And this all comes around the central thing to her, which is her relationship with amongst her family her relationship with her mom her relationship with her sister all these things are wrapped in all these things and and i i think there's that's a really great through line through the story that we're seeing brought up again once again we're dealing with parenting and leadership and and how best to help the people around you uh, and, and and you know lift them up for success and that's you know one of victoria's biggest complaints about her childhood is that she didn't get that in the way she she thought was right I just love everything you just said because it's basically a just it's it's like this is why this is a masterclass in character building. <laughs> it's, it's like you just you take every aspect of this character and it's a refraction of um, the same basic ideas, which are all consistent among each other, right? Yeah, there's yeah. It, it's all it's all related and consonant with itself. Um, there's no there's no details that make no sense. <laughs> you know it. it I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's that's why she's such a great character, and this is yeah. such good writing. Yeah, I, I yeah, totally agree. 
Okay, so there's one more beat I wanted to point out here before I moved on, because Wildbo does this kind of interesting structural thing. At the end of this section of the chapter, Chicken Little brings up Rain, because he's like the only person in the world that thinks Rain is cool, which is amazing. Um, and, and Victoria, after he brings up Rain, basically plans for them to interact with each other. And and we leave this conversation like like this. So here's where we leave the conversation. He she says, but maybe I'll send him with lookout for one of the drop offs and you guys can catch up. Chicken Little nodded enthusiastic. The chatter continued as snuff pulled onto the highway, picking up speed. And then Victoria thinks to herself in her italicized, you know, internal dialogue foresight. And then we cut and then we're at foresight headquarters ready to have that scene. And I think this is kind of interesting because. This is a this is a transitional signifier, right? It's like it's kind of leading us into the next section, but it's not a necessary one. Like we already know they're heading to Foresight headquarters. The first line of the next section after the uh, uh, sun symbols is Foresight had a good aesthetic running through it. So we know we're there. Like so it's not it's not altogether necessary to carry you into that next section, which leads me to believe it's another one of these patented wild bow uh, things have two meanings things right yeah and not just wild bow but victoria this is like a total victoriaism where she would like use a clever turn of phrase here yeah yeah right. I, I like that a lot yeah because we're heading to foresight but also victoria is like putting chicken little and rain together because she sees maybe being around rain would be good for both of them because rain gets this kid who looks up to him which will be good for his self-esteem but chicken little gets an interaction with someone who um could maybe help him and and help him be a little more independent or or Maybe get him away from Tattletale a little yeah, bit or something. Maybe give him some insight into people who are trying to manipulate you or brainwash you. Right. Exactly. Interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, so I, yeah, I like so she's like, she's like having the foresight to see the benefit of this interaction for both these characters. Yeah. And I just lo I love that. It's this little tiny moment. Um, maybe not even intentional, but I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. I think even even if it's not intentional, I, I love it, yeah. <laughs> um, so they arrive at the Foresight headquarters, like you said. Victoria goes in alone first, and she gives us a, a pretty cool description of the aesthetic of their lobby. Yeah, and it... it so the first thing we see is, is Brio's portrait had been hung in one of those absent places. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the only hung portrait. And we know that Brio was killed, I think, as part of the goddess storyline. I can't remember exactly where, but I think uh, that's where... Yeah, he, he he was killed by the um, by the attack um, on the on the folks who were checking out the um, the field where the navigators were butchered. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. So so we know Brio was killed, and then we get this really like dark line here. It wasn't the only hung portrait. Mm -hmm. So we're like immediately thrown into this this certain tone mm -hmm. where uh, we know that their leader's dead, uh, and now we've gotten confirmation that. Um, other members of Foresight have been dead and it kind of catches the readers and reminds the readers of Foresight situation. They've lost their leader. They're maybe scrambling to reform and recruit and, and maybe there's tension amongst the ranks as they're trying to reformat this whole thing. And, and we also then go on to see these giant portraits of the living members of the group in the visitors area. And I just love how these are these are described. They're, they're floor to ceiling images of the heroes and the heroes themselves within the frames are so big that at least half their body is residing outside the frame. I mean, these are floor to ceiling images that are only half of the body of the hero. They're huge. They're massive. And we talked last week about the bunker and, and, and the bunker's design trying to give off this image. And I think this 
is what Foresight is doing here with these portraits, right? He, they're trying to give off this this yeah. image larger than of, life, and and, and it right. helps that Victoria is is a character who's very conscious of the fact that this is exactly what's happening, right? Right. She's right. she's not some kid who's walking into this place and being wowed by the <laughs> oh these they're they're great, and then and then it especially helps that she talks to them immediately after, and like she sees this picture of effervescent, and she's so cool and and intimidating and. And larger than life, and then effervescent is just like a normal kind of, <laughs> like she describes her kind as pissy. Of, yeah, pissy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it was interesting to me how hollow it rang actually. Like, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this in context of those giant statues at the wardens, and I was like, what if you like walked into work, and they had installed like a forty foot tall statue of the CEO of your company, like <laughs> like like in like a badass pose. Like, oh God, I would roll my eyes so bad. Exactly. It would ring completely hollow and you would be like, oh, come on. I like, I, I know that that's, that's shameful basically. Right. Right. But like, right. this is a, this is meant to project and make an image for like everyone else to see. It probably wouldn't yeah. work because we don't have superheroes, but, but you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it, it, it rings, this rings hollow in the same way that seeing a giant portrait of, of a CEO would, I think. Right. And I think like, I mean, with the wardens at the very least, like the, the people they built statues of were specifically like some of the heroes of the before gold morning yeah. stuff um, here with with foresight. I mean, I don't want to d- diminish any of these characters, but they haven't done like a whole <laughs> lot. And there's just these, like massive floor to ceiling portraits of them. And I'm just like, oh, cool. There's effervescent. <laughs> Right. Neat. Right. I mean, Crystal Clear, it, who's great. I love Crystal Clear. Yeah. He's great. But it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it rings kind of hollow. And I think it's supposed to ring kind of hollow. Yeah. Well, and I realize I'm dwelling on this for too long now. But like, ima- like you, imagine Chevalier being like, I can just imagine him being like, I don't want a giant statue of myself yeah. that I have to walk past <laughs> every day. Like, that's right, not right. That's weird. And they're like, I'm sorry, but that's what the designers say we need. We need to mm-hmm. focus on. We need to focus on this particular image. And then him being like, all right, fine. But yeah, and then having to walk past the giant statue of himself every day. Or Miss sure. Militia. Yeah. Like like all, all the characters who had statues would, would be the ones who would be a little bit skeeved out by having a giant statue of themselves. Exactly. It's like being cool. Yeah. You don't want a statue of yourself. Yes. Well said. Plus you should... I, I, it, I always feel weird giving statues of people that are still alive. Yeah. I feel like statues should be universally statues and giant portraits should be universally reserved for people who have died. I think in yeah, my opinion, that's probably true. So that was fun. So then yeah. Annalise and Evervescent come out to greet them. Uh, Victoria tells them that she can't really give the full, you know, skivvy on what's going on. Um, before she asks her questions, but she gives them a few options. She says, number one, I can tell you nothing and fill you in later after this is all resolved. Uh, number two, I can lie to you in the specifics, but appraise you of like the general kinds of dangers involved through kind of indirection. And yeah. number three, I can tell you the full details, but then I need to keep whoever I tell with me all day. And uh, the heroes choose to be told a lie, which, I mean, it's it's on one level, it's rational and reasonable, and like within the story, it makes sense. But also, yeah. I think it's really thematically interesting that they chose to be lied to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, we're once again going back to this concept of lying as the safest option. Right. Because um, lying for your safety is something that parahumans chose to do all the time. Mm-hmm. They did it all the time with a great number of people and and that the government under the PRT and the government under this did it constantly, too. And our government does it constantly. Lying for your safety is uh, a 
concept that is pretty universal and they they choose it here they 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 choose to take the lie knowing that it will keep them the most safe but give them a fair amount of information yeah yeah it is really interesting yeah so we've been talking a bit about uh, the back and forth snipping and arguing between our two main characters in the story but i think the thing i enjoy here is we get to kind of see it from a different angle because there's a lot of back and forth like snipping and sniping at each other between Annalise and Effervescent here, right? Lace is a guy who really digs Victoria and's like ready to defend her and uh Effie doesn't doesn't really like Victoria. Hasn't liked Victoria from the beginning and is a type of person who I think if if you handed Effervescent Victoria's diary, she would go yeah, that just about figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think it's just it's just great the way that the book kind of builds this relationship. A lot of it is unspoken and just exists in the looks and the 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 side eye they're giving each other and how they're talking to each other. And and I think we only really get to understand the complexities of their relationship through Victoria's very acute observation skills. Like she's very in tune with with these people and how they're talking to each other. Yeah, and she's just really good at reading people at this. At the, especially capes and, and all their and all yeah. their weirdness. Yeah. I mean, it also kind of shows that the the, the um, leadership structure within the organization isn't really set in stone either. Yeah. Because um, there's this whole moment is like, aren't you going to run this by countenance first? And effervescent. It's like, nah, I, I can yeah. make decisions. Um, a lot of hints, a lot of hints towards the fact that this organization isn't entirely stable, which makes sense when we kind of get to see exactly what the goal with with screwing with them is yeah yeah does it fill you with terrible foreboding that effervescent like still talks about having a really weird read on victoria yeah i mean i I feel like that's something that's going to be paid off in a certain way like i hate to jump to the um well it's because she's not entirely human explanation right that's sort of where my head went but it's like well that wouldn't really tell us any new information like it's right like i feel like it's going to be worse than that but yeah, uh, I mean, wow. it, it could okay. it could be that it could be that, you know, it, it could just be like. But but that's that doesn't that doesn't pay off, you know, that's more like, a, oh, yeah, that's we knew that. So, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be like a fulfilling moment of like, mm-hmm. this is why I never had a good read on you. Yeah, I get mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll keep it in mind for sure. Sure. Uh, so they head outside to join Tattletale for more in-depth conversation. And as they head outside, Chicken Little makes his birds screech, aiming to be cool. And then he gets taken down a peg by Effie, telling him that he's bothering the neighbors. And by Annalise, insinuating that it comes off as tryhard. And this pisses off Chicken Little for like the next hour. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty good. I also think it's really interesting um, because Aiden's shard mommy never thought about being cool per se. But she did put a ton of energy into the impressions that she made. She wanted her team to be terrifying. She wanted to be intimidating. She certainly wasn't above stuff like using the swarm voice purely to be extra creepy. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting parallel between uh, Aiden and, and Taylor here. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. It is it is like a slightly reshaped version of a Taylor trait, and mm-hmm. we've already had this, right? We had this, his wonderful line of that he just wanted people working together. Mm-hmm. So he wants people to work together. He wants to project a certain image. I mean, he did his whole evil spin around in the chair thing, right? Like that's very much about image, and it is. It's not exactly Taylor. It doesn't have the same experiences or the same motivation behind the desires that Taylor had, but it's it's close. It's mm-hmm. close, right? And I think that's that's very interesting. Um, 
And I, I, I want to like, I'm, I'm so fascinated by where this character, like this guy was a, a minor character that I didn't really think much of at, at the first few arcs of the story. And I'm really, really, really intently watching where he's going and how he's changing and growing throughout the story. Yeah. Cause he's become more important to the story. He's become sure, more important yeah. to, to several of the characters. It's obvious that, that he's going to have an arc um, he's very important to Tattletale. So yeah. And, and he's just, you know, we just kind of come to love him cause he's great. Yeah. Cause um, he wears freaking chicken slippers Yeah, while sitting at a evil villain chair yeah. with a chicken in his yeah. lap. Surrounded by his eerily silent birds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I also think it's really realistic for like a nine year old or whatever to take it really hard when people call him out on his attempts to be cool. Yeah. I mean, I like that he almost would have like talked back to him. Yeah. Had had Tattletail not stepped in and stopped in there, yeah. Um, and, and and when they get back to the car, Chicken Litter basically says, "You can do way better than this guy, Victoria. Way better." Yeah. And so now I've had Cannon in in my my mind that what who he was specifically referring to when he said, "You can do better," is Rain because he thinks Rain <laughs> is the coolest. So like Chicken Little wants to play matchmaker between Rain and Victoria, and that's the most fucking hilarious <laughs> thing in the world to me because it's Rain. Yes, that is that is a delightful image. Yes, I like that you're accusing Aiden of shipping, but um, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> I'm not accusing. I'm just oh. I'm just stating. Okay, so eventually they coax the, the heroes into admitting that Ratcatcher and Big Picture were the two potential recruits, but the heroes refused to dish on the details, which is understandable. So now a Law and Order Parahumans Victims Unit needs to track down that pair of rejects. Yeah, and this is this is what I'm talking about when I talk about the best part of mystery novels being put into this story. Because this interaction here and interactions like it, Wildbow has set up these two sides that kind of want to work together, but there's a basic level of antagonism um, across the lines and amongst the lines. Like, the two teams are trying to work together but they have differences between them. They also have differences between each other and all this stuff is being revealed during the interrogation, during the question asking. And it's just like, that's why mystery stories are fun. That's why they work is because like this stuff reveals character and it's, it's so great. Like I, I love it. I love it all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, and, and the thing is, is this happens very gradually, but like they are, I don't want to say they're becoming friends because that would be, premature but they're definitely um they're definitely seeing each other in in different lights than they've had opportunity to like they've worked together a few times in the last few arcs right but this is different this is different because they're it's just the two of them they're being forced to, to continually have conversations yeah and um and then and, the, and the, they don't have the excuse of like constant action to break up their interactions it's like Nope, getting back in the car now. Going to talk about that thing that just happened. It, it's it's a lot more low energy, and they just kind of get to know each other on a, on like a more like human level. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It is it is entirely different. Like their their team up. La- they barely talked to each other really yeah. last time. There was like one or two interactions around the team up, and then they went and went their own separate ways. This whole situation is forcing them into close contact, and we're going to see challenging of each other as we do yeah. this. And and I just yeah. like this. It just. I'm speaking very generally right now, but I just love it all. Like this conversation is so kind of goofy because it's, it's not, not goofy. Goofy's not the right word. It's like herky jerky, right? It's just like, it starts and stops like to get to the point where they're like, Oh yes. Um, it's, um, 
big picture and rat catcher. Those are the two. Those are your next two clues. Like to get there, they have to go through this back and forth and these like arguing and like Aiden's pissed off and like the, the, the two sides are kind of annoyed with each other. And it's like it's just it's it's really, really good. It's, I yeah. like it a lot. Yeah, me too. So before they leave, we get a glimpse of Snuff's power, which is apparently making little black holes. I'm guessing there's more to it, but, you know, that there always is. Um, but, yeah, it seems like a pretty dangerous power. Yeah, and we get a reminder that uh, that pre-amnesty, he was a murderer for hire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he specifically called out on that. And, and Tattletail's response is, yeah, pre-amnesty, reminding us that while everyone officially got a second chance, different people feel differently about how much those chances are warranted. Yeah, right. And and what qualifies you, yeah. Yeah. And there because there's so much danger here, right? Like even just even just the the concept of Victoria working with Tattletail again. Victoria we see here that Victoria is risking antagonizing the other hero organizations she's worked hard to develop relationships with. Like this conversation with Annalise and Evanescence started with, "Oh, you're working with uh, you're working with the Undersiders again." I see the villains, the bad guys, and she has to kind of explain her way out of that. And 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 let's say she fails, like she, they're in, they're in her investigation, and she fails to prevent her diary from getting public before she solves the case. Right? Like, let's say that happens. The other teams are going to see this diary and they're going to see her hanging out with Tattletail again. And they're going to be like, ah, well, that (laughs) figures. That's just more evidence that this thing is correct, because look at the people she's hanging out with. And like, I think it shows just how desperate she is. Like, like, I'm not going to say that, like, she shouldn't hang out with Tattletail and that she should distance herself from the Undersiders, because I think they're very complicated villains. And we've talked about all that before. But I think like it is it is a symptom of how how desperate she is in this moment that that. And I think the book is reinforcing that through um, showing how Foresight is kind of antagonistic toward Tattletale, how they're antagonistic toward Snuff, how they, they don't feel great about all this. And the fact that Victoria has chosen to associate with these people doesn't rub them the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's one of the many things that makes the diary such a brilliant like mastermind chess move is for all we know, this was the intended outcome. Like, like push right. her, like, like make it so that she, like give her, give her a problem that she can't go to any of her teammates with, but she has to go to Tattletail, creating a situation where she looks even worse, you know, like it just, it's, it's a great, I don't know, I'd, I'd love it as a, as both a within story, uh, um, clever move by a formidable villain, whoever it yeah. is, and simultaneously like just a, a fascinatingly well done you know yeah. example of how, how to do plotting i'm kind of curious if jessica hears that she's hanging out with Tattletail now what's she gonna be it's like right. no i am not this manipulative terrible person you thought i was and to prove it i will go hang yeah. out with that manipulative terrible person right i'm going to go run off to the villains and try to head off this revelation i mean conspiracy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so before they leave Annalise manages to squeeze in some flirting which about one minute later, Tattletail shines a 10 megawatt spotlight on. Of course she does, because she's Tattletail. Yeah. Yeah. And Victoria, once again, like, doesn't shut him down completely. Yeah. Um, she doesn't say yes, but she doesn't say no. Like, she knows what he wants, and her response is, maybe. I said, slim maybe, if I'm being honest, but I appreciate the trust. And I don't think that's because, like, um, she's just leading him on or doesn't want to hurt his feelings or wants to let him down gently. I don't think that's the kind of thing. I think she's just kind of confused in her feelings. And this is something that we're establishing here. Um, 
relationships are a big part of this arc. They're going to be a big part of things going forward, I think. And I mean, they're definitely a big part of the, this, uh, these two chapters going forward. Um, she is attracted to him on some way the, when, when he walks through the door, the first thing she says again is that, okay, she's comfortable dealing with these two people because she knows where they stand. She knows Annalise likes her and she knows Annalise, um, uh, looks good. He's got a f- good body, which that I, we didn't pull that quote, but it made me laugh because she's basically said like, judging by his body, he's in, he's good looking. And that I, at first I thought that was weird. Cause I was like, judging by his body, what do you mean? I was like, oh, because she hasn't actually seen his face, (laughs) which makes cape dating so weird because she's never actually seen his face. But judging by his body, he's probably uh, a handsome guy. Um, And I just like like she's not sure what to do with these feelings. Um, She's not even sure if she has any back. And she just this is a this is a very weird, uncomfortable place for her. Uh, So she just kind of lost or, you know, she's super gay or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. I mean, so. So I just looked something up to to verify uh, a theory. So this wording she uses, she's like, ah, "Slim, maybe, probably not." It's it's pre- it, it not not verbally the same thing, but it's like very similar to what she said to Sprite in two dot three. So like you know, we like to track character development over time. So this mm-hmm. is an example of like explicitly zero character development along this axis you know what i mean like 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 she hasn't changed her feelings about men who are into her her feelings are still like that's that's really nice Uh, she says the sprite i'm flattered you know it's like that that's that's nice i've enjoyed i've enjoyed talking to you i'm gonna go now yeah right and um she's still just as confused as she was at the start of the story. And I yeah. think that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for all the progress she has made, that is one area that she struggled with. I mean, we've seen, yeah. we've seen it with how she talks about Dean. Um, yeah. 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 So as they approach Ratcatcher's home, Ratcatcher makes a break for it. Uh, Victoria has to chase her down, fly around. Ratcatcher almost makes it by being quick and agile and knowing all the twists and turns that she can use to ex- escape but Chicken Little's hawks manage to grab two of her rats before she can disappear. And then we we end the chapter on this wonderful moment where Victoria realizes this is exactly why Tattletail brought Chicken Little along. So she knew or had an inkling that this is where things were going to go always. Um, and she's kind of annoyed about it because she's like, oh, she's going to be so smug and happy with herself that things work out worked out exactly the way she perceived. Um, which, I mean, kind of ends this chapter on Victoria being snarky to Tattletale about Tattletale. And then we begin the next chapter on some Victoria snark towards Tattletale, which again, I think slots great into our kind of um, mismatched detectives forced to work together uh, archetype that we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, this chapter ends with Ratcatcher, you know, saying I got, I got kicked out of Forsyth for sending some drunk texts and Victoria's like, do you remember sending them? <laughs> and then, then like you said, the, the opening sentence of 13.6 is Tattletail took her sweet, sorry, Tattletail took her sweet frigging time in catching up to, to us, <laughs> Yeah, which for some reason it's even funnier that she says frigging in, instead of fucking because Victoria is not like she doesn't avoid swearing, right? Right. I mean, fucking why is like her thing, right? <laughs> right. So it's I don't know. It's even it's it, for some reason funnier in the, in this instance that she would say frigging. Yeah, it's, and it's it, and it, I like we said before, it is a reinforcement of their you know working together, but but butting heads type of thing. They're annoying each other. It's like they have their each have their own style of of detecting, and uh, they those styles butt heads with each other. Yeah, 
I mean, it's also funny that she's giving Tattletail a hard time when like she can fly, and so it's like, right? Really, you're just holding it against her that she. Yeah, why is can't you? F- why can't you fly, Lisa? You suck. Yeah. Right. So I, I enjoyed this slight t- ticking clock element that's added to this whole chapter, this whole conversation, at least by the fact that Chicken doesn't know how to make his birds release the rats. He doesn't know how to control them that well. He's limited in the kinds of commands that he can give, and and he's like, yeah, the the birds they're holding the rats. But they're they're really they're actually just really stressed out by the <laughs> conflicting orders that I've given, and yeah. I don't really know how this is going to end up. And, and and like Ratcatcher's really freaked out about this, obviously, <laughs> and and like Victoria is like, oh god, it's it's just a great um a great element to introduce here. Yeah, I d- I don't have a, a hold but not kill command, so I gave yeah. kill and stop at the same time, and they don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean it, it reminds of reminds us of his kind of real time strategy method of control, right? Um, yeah. that we and we've been talking about how this is maybe increasing in strength, and I like this because Taylor to 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 compare Aiden to his shard mommy again. Taylor had this kind of innate desire to really test her power and push the limits of her power. She always wanted to know how to make it better, how to make it more effective, how to improve it. Um, Aiden doesn't seem like he's the type of person that really wants to do that or is as interested in doing that that's kind of not his personality but in doing what she's doing here lisa is kind of forcing aiden into that situation right like she like forcing him in a situation where he has to stumble his way through figuring out a better use more control of his power um she specifically says do not mortally wound them she's brought him here for this specific reason um it's it's intense it's an intense kind of trial by fire thing she's doing to him um and you can kind of see why she'd want to do it though when you see how much she probably sees of of taylor and him yeah and i don't mean to go too deep into the shard theory crafting weeds here but i think it is also relevant in terms of the themes of what's going on in the story is that we get this insinuation from the shard POV chapters that they can't actually um, innovate in the way that they could before. Like the queen administrator shard was constantly doing things and and like giving Taylor access to things that were novel. Like, like at, at first she couldn't hear through them, couldn't see through them. She couldn't do all these insane tricks by the end. She can, she can make the perfect swarm clones and operate them as if they're, you know, robots. And the the point being like how much of that was actually only because there was the shard hub and there was the learning from other shards. And, and the point of this being can Aiden, can Aiden actually grow the way Taylor did? Is it possible? Is it, it's something that's now off the table after gold. Yeah. That's interesting. Or, I mean, another look on it, would maybe be um the the shard needs the human to do that right like before Mm -hmm. the shard could do it the shard could attach to the network and come up with new things and new strategies and and help out in that way but now if the human's not innovating the shard can't innovate so maybe Mm -hmm. it's like i I don't want to go too conspiracy theory with this but we know that uh, Lisa Shard's been fucking with her a little bit. So maybe Lisa Shard is being like, yeah, uh, make him learn new things because mm-hmm. his Shard wants new information too. So like make mm-hmm. him push him to use his powers in different ways and that'll help his Shard and then that'll help us. And we, we all like it. We like it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I like that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It just occurred to me. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see if that goes anywhere. I mean, it does go in hand with the fact that we've introduced this idea that the Shards are, are, are sort of in stasis. So yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. 
So Victoria then flies up and she grabs a rat from one of the hawks to show goodwill to Ratcatcher. Thank God, because fucking three lines of dialogue, Ratcatcher says, managed to endear me to these rats forever. And I don't <laughs> think I could stand losing them. Yeah. They're my friends. I train them to use a litter box and they bring me snacks if I'm in bed and I don't want to get up. Rasputin is my best helper and Templeton is a cuddler. Rasputin and Templeton, Matt. Yeah. The best. I know. I don't it's, even like rats, and I love these rats. I know it's it's amazing. I I uh, I mean I I, I don't I, I liked Ratcatcher before this because she was like competent and unique, and obviously had a lot going on, mm-hmm. and you were just really interested in her. But this made this just made me fall in love with her. She's just so I, I want to see so much more Ratcatcher. I agree. I love. I her. want this to switch over to Ratcatcher's POV now. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> But yeah, she's the best. Uh, she keeps her phone in her knee high, in her knee high sock, and she's like, "Yeah, of course, it's way more logical this way." Do you do you agree with her? Of course. Is this part no. of your anti pants crusade? I had to yeah. hear about today, Matt. I'm currently on an anti pants crusade. Pants Matt is, is the least logical form of of clothing. Is this what started your anti pants? No, no. Thing? I was actually just walking around, and I was like, pants just don't look good. Guys, this is a window into the life of one of your co-hosts. He's just walking around, wanting to take his pants off. No, no, it's. I mean, it was. It's just, just walk, today. Walk around. Just notice that pants just don't look good as, like, as a concept. They're the worst possible solution for lower body garment. Okay, we have to move on. But do we? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Ratcatcher is also an incredibly sad character. So, like. The, the duality of, of contrasting, like she's delightful and funny and I love her and also she's super sad is just amazing and it works amazingly well. Like, and also there's like comedy mixed in with the sad. Like, okay, so for example, I wait until five to drink. They say you're supposed to wait until later in the day to drink. That way you're not an alcoholic. What time do you get up? I asked. Three or four? Ratcatcher asked like she was unsure and wanted my verification. So, and then later... um. I'm hearing that as a yes, you were lonely, Tattletale says. Ratcatcher considered, then nodded again. The body language was subtly different from the answer about whether she'd been sober, less carefree. And it's like, man, this is like sad, lonely existence. She's clearly actually an alcoholic. She sleeps all day and yeah. then like stays up all night drinking. Is like barely functional, basically, but has kind of this childish attitude about it. I wonder how old she is. You know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny way of like managing tone, right? Because she's been this character that we've always enjoyed, but like she's been almost exclusively played for her kookiness. And that continues here. She's very silly. She's kooky. She's this funny, like rat obsessed lady with this lisp. Um, But but of course, our author chooses to dive into her a little bit here. This this quote unquote crazy rat lady who drinks her days away and only finds solace in her rats while recognizing that that's like that she has that she has the rats, but she's still lonely. She still wants people. Um, she just feels like she's been rejected by them. Um, probably for really cruel reasons. Like we've never seen her outside of her mask. There's probably, she probably doesn't look great underneath there and feels bad about it. And it's, it's really, really sad. It's, and it's, it's a testament to me that you can handle this and make it sincerely sad and you sincerely feel bad for the character while also kind of being able to laugh at the character too, because like, from the scene, we move right into one of the most hilarious bits in this entire book. And I don't think any of that is hurt by the fact that you feel a little bad for her. Like it's still really funny. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I, I love how it intermixes. It almost makes it funnier because you care about her now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's like, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so you wanted to read into this. <laughs> I noticed from your live tweeting and, and I thought it I thought this is probably a good thing to, to read into because we saw like multiple different interpretations of, of this uh, this coming couple of lines. So uh-huh. Victoria's thinking, uh, sorry, no, uh, Ratcatcher says, you know, uh, sorry, that, you know, when you're in a bad place and any boy with a nice voice and cute butt is nice to you, you get you get hopes up. Not so much, I thought. So, so, so I had a certain, yeah, I had a certain read of this and what was funny is like you and I were talking today and we both like typed our read of it at the same time and then sent it simultaneously, (laughs) like like accidentally. Yeah. And we had, and we had the same read on it basically. So you go ahead though. Okay. So here's what I want to do and I'm probably going to upset some people. Uh, but I, I don't think Victoria is gay. Um, obviously I'd be happy to be wrong here if she falls in love with Ashley and they have a beautiful whirlwind romance where they make each other breakfast and then shop together and eventually open like a tea house slash independent bookstore while fighting crime on the side. That would be awesome. And I'd love it. I'd be so happy for the two of them. I just don't think it's going to happen. You've thought about Um, this a lot. (laughs) No, never. Um, I am willing to say, I'm in fact willing to say that the fact that the only textual mention of their friendship going anything beyond friendship is in the diary is almost like uh, almost specifically there to make it so it could it, it, it's it's telegraphing that this is never going to actually happen. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I see the diary as a as a as a way of trying to poison the well with her relationships with people. So. Right. Right. Yeah. However. This could be read in a way in which Victoria is saying, no, I don't know what it's like when a boy does it, which I don't know if that's necessarily true, because I mean, like she likes guys still like like if if she's something, I don't think she's like gay. Right. Like she she has clearly has an attraction to men. She was in love with Dean. I think her her sexual status is a little more complicated than that. Uh, but if you want to read it as no, I don't know what that means because I'm not attracted to guys. If that's the read you want to take from this, go for it. I'm happy for you. I if you guys are right, I will I will be thrilled. Yeah. I just don't think so. I think just to be explicit, uh, our read was no, I don't know what it's like to feel all twitter pated when guys are into me because I don't feel that anymore because right. I feel dead inside and feel like my body is a disgusting husk that that the, the thought of it being attractive to anyone is, is alien to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's I think that read to me ties into specifically the interaction with Annalise that she just had. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, that that we just had an interaction with a dude that clearly is into her, a dude that she said is physically fit, probably has a nice butt. She does. I don't think she stops and describes Annalise's yeah. butt. Not um, the butt specifically. No. But, no, but he's clearly into her. Um, and she's not really into it. Like nothing, nothing really happens there. She's not comfortable. Like Ratcatcher is talking about how when a guy likes you and you're in a dark place and he's a cute guy with a good voice that likes you, how that makes you feel better. It makes, it makes, it feels good. You get your hopes up. And that's just not, that's just not Victoria's reactions with when cute guys with nice voices like her. That's just not. Yeah, it's just not like. Yeah, well, the the whole the whole like um, 
uh, what, what's the metaphor? The, the, the whole highway of, of life choices that that on-ramp leads onto are things that she doesn't want to think about at all. Yeah. Because she doesn't like to think about her body at all. Right, right. And she doesn't like to think about being vulnerable with people really either. Like it, it's taken, it took her like months to tell her, her closest friends and allies about the existence of the wretch. Yeah. Like it's just, it, there's so many different reasons why she can't like credibly simulate what a relationship would be like. And so she's just like, nah, it's just not, it's just, yeah. I, I, it's just not turned on for me. You know? Yeah. That's not, I don't get, I don't get any of that. That stuff yeah. you're talking about right now, rat catcher. Don't, I, I don't feel that. That's yeah. none of that. Yeah. None of that. Yeah. And she's a little wistful about it, right? Like I, I, maybe I'm attaching too much emotion to to one line. Not so much, I thought. But there's a little bit of, yeah, no, I don't feel that. Maybe I wish I kind of did, but that's just not that's just not the way I feel. Yeah, I think that's true. Like I, I think she sees this as a flaw in herself, actually, because yeah. clearly she did used to have a, a a sexual side. You know. Yeah. 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 Um. It just occurred to me maybe Amy just like turned that off because she didn't want her to have sex with anybody, but I don't think that's true. Oh gosh, that's a, a that's a fucking dark read, Matt. That would that would be yeah, that'd be super fucked up. And and that doesn't really jive with my read on on Amy at this time. But anyway, this yeah. just popped in my head. God. So <laughs> yeah, so all that aside, uh, we we go full comedic for a little bit uh, as noted prude Victoria summarizes and reacts to Ratcatcher's texts containing. Rat themed sexual overtures, and uh, it's just great because all of Victoria's dialogue is like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it, I please, see. Please, please move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's wonderful. it's fantastic. It's really funny. I was dying laughing. Um, the the pickup lines involving rats to the suggestions that that he shoved a snake up p- places. Um, this was all great, and I think uh, Ratcatcher's like trademark lisp actually enhances it a bit too because like i think it requires you to read it a little closer because you have to kind of translate the lisp as you're going and i think the the, because you're reading a little closer and because you're almost translating i think the read allows you to to capture the tone a little bit more and that makes it read as even more funny like i just i really like i really really like it i think it's really funny it works in every way it should and it leads me back to this thing that i think we've talked about before is this like this kind of seesawing between tones right like this is there's a lot of serious stuff going on right now but we're we're managing to dip into the funny without taking away from the seriousness of it and that's i mean that's kind of like i feel like that's kind of another trope is the wrong word but it's another thing that these mystery stories kind of do they're investigating serious things but they're interacting with a cast of kind of goofy characters like it's a it's it's interviews with all these different characters and they're different shades of uh depressing and and hilarious and and weird and i just i love it i love it so much yeah i mean dark i i agree dark humor is a staple of this kind of detective story yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. um so uh tattletale does tattletale i i I wrote this note down and then i didn't actually go back and check does tattletale avoid swearing around chicken little i saw (sighs) because she swears all the goddamn time actually but but it seems like she's being a little bit more clean around Chicken Little. Is this, is this part of her? Because she scolded the mercenaries for swearing around him. I'm, I I think it's quite plausible. I just I didn't actually bother to like 
check because that would be yeah i mean she does says say dang at one point and i think that's probably what made you write it down as you saw her say dang um yeah and i mean there when when her and victoria get into her uh the whole philosophical argument they have she does drop shit uh once or twice but Uh you could argue that that's because victoria's line of of thinking uh upset her to the point where she's slipping up on her no swears uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I think if she's mentioned it, but people before which she has, yeah, I think she's probably trying not to, not to drop the F bomb around him as much. Yeah. Just a nice little touch. Yeah. So anyway, Tattletale and Victoria have a bit of a philosophical disagreement here in the middle of their interrogation. Victoria mentions longing for the good old days when cape fights were surface level and Tattletale, <laughs> whose power involves destroying people's lives, says that that stupid powers are intertwined with who we are. And then Victoria goes there by mentioning the kids that got chopped up and how it was definitely better to play the charade than to have that. Yeah, this is a, a great conversation. Um, and, and again, going back to that whole, you know, mystery story device of using the exploration of the mystery to reveal character traits. You have them kind of talking back and forth and it reveals this argument Um And Victoria, once again, showing that she's sometimes a contradiction, right? She wants the rules back. She wants the game back. She wants the charade back, even though when she existed under that, when she was glory girl under those old rules, under that game, um, she operated in a way that was not great, right? Not great. She wants those good old days back, but she also is coming from a a privileged position of being one of the people that kind of directly benefited from the rules of the game in those good old days. She never really got punished for the things she did. Well, I guess you could argue she got, you know, uh, punished by the universe for the things that she did in the worst way possible, but I don't, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I I mean, it's interesting because I don't even really know whose side I'm on or, or if either of them are right. Like they just, I think they're both expressing a preference for, yeah, it's a really complicated disagreement, actually. I think they're they're not even really engaging with each other. They're more just like expressing frustration with the other's apparent point of view without yeah. really bothering to really understand it. Yeah, and well, the thing that I love about Lisa's side of this thing is that like the person who introduced us, the reader, to the concept of the game, to the concept of cops and robbers was Tattletale. She was the one that did it. And she's the one now so vehemently calling it out as a facade now. And I, I think that's really fascinating. Like, it's almost it's like she always maybe on some level knew it was bullshit. But the, her experiences in the last story have have led her to time where she doesn't even have time for that bullshit anymore. It's like it was always a game. The game's bullshit. It, it was it, it was never it was never the reality. It was never that way. And I think that's interesting. I, I like that connection. And, and I think they're both mourning the loss of the cops and robbers, but they're not communicating very well right now. Yeah. yeah. Like the, this isn't actually a disagreement. They, they both, they both preferred it back then. Right. I'm, I'm sure Lisa was, was happier at the start of worm uh, than she is now. Uh, yeah. Pretty sure. I could be wrong. Well, and, and I love, I love her take. Like, like I was never good at that surface level it's a good way of putting it but the tool i was handed is a backhoe so i i love this 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 idea that like because her power is ex- it like intrinsically deep it cannot mm. be shallow it cannot be surface level by its very definition it goes deeper than the surface there's like this inherent contradiction in what 
parahumans are supposed to do to fight. Like her method of conflict is below the surface. That's just what it is. And like, so she's in this thing where she's like, we have a person who is a brute who literally fights just physical. Like that's what she does. Scratch. Like she says, I want to go back to the place where it was just scratches and bruises and, and anything that could heal. Um, and Tattletail's like, well, I can't do, I could never do that. That's not like, I don't, I don't punch people in my fights like you do. That's not what I do. And it's just like this, like, I, I agree that they're both on the same, they're both like kind of agreeing with each other to a certain extent. Like, I mean, even, even Tattletail acknowledging that like surface level is a good way of putting it is acknowledging that Victoria has a certain point. She even gives her a point here. She says back then kids weren't chopped up into pieces, which, which is Kind of true. I mean, some people were doing some terrible things. Yeah, but, up until a certain point, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it's like, look, we both want, we both look at this, at this, this past, this game, these rules, this, this understanding as uh, an ideal situation. And Victoria's thing is, I think we should value people that are still trying to attach to that line of thinking, and. Lisa's point of view is some people can't some mm-hmm. people can't and it's not fair to the people that can't mm-hmm. yeah yeah right I mean it I mean yeah we know of so many characters who got dealt powers where it just wasn't on the table to just to just play pretend you know so right 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 and so again, now, again, yeah. Victoria's position is is one of kind of privilege, right? Because she was a hero, like a, a hero from a family of heroes that benefited greatly from the system being as it is. Like that's just she she, she benefited that from that mightily. Yeah, absolutely. So now Ratcatcher seems like most demoralized out of everything by the fact that somebody would go after her like this and try to destroy her reputation, even though she's now trying to actually be good. Like she's really kind of hurt by this. Yeah. Yeah. It's really this really heartbreaking moment where this poor character is just defeated and she's like, just has to like, what's the point of trying to be good? Why bother anymore? Why not just, just cover myself, take what I need and, and accept that this is the way the world works. And this is really sad. And it's a sentiment that I think we're probably going to see echoed in a lot of uh, other capes going into forward into the story because we had this life changing event. All these former bad guys got the chance for a fresh start free from their past, a chance to start anew. You could be a hero this time. And at the start of the book, we noted that there were more heroes than there had ever been before. There were heroes, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. people pursuing the, the heroic line of thinking. Um, and they get to be a hero. They get to be good. Maybe they'll even help make the world better. And now the world isn't getting better. The The world is getting worse. And being good means sometimes you get attacked for no reason, targeted just because it's not fair. Um, and and it, it, it takes a certain type of person to look at that and say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's not every person. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not the person that Ratcatcher is. That's just not her experience that's not what her person personality is and that's not what she's willing to do and i think we're going to see that more and more there's people that look at this and say what is the point anymore yeah right you have to have a lot of resilience and and gumption going into the game um to to be the kind of hero who can stand up to that kind of thing yeah yeah it's really one interesting thing to me i don't mean to jump ahead but it's interesting that both Ratcatcher and um big picture like the things that were done 
to sabotage them are so subtle as to be things that could be written off as actually being true. Like we don't even know if anything was done to either of them actually. Yeah. Like it, it could have just been rat catchers sending lewd texts. Uh, whereas right. Victoria's Victoria's like, no, I did not write this. This is insane. This is clearly a, an operation yeah. against me. Um, and I just think it's interesting where like by, by, by putting such an obvious, like it's, it's only falsifiable in the sense that Victoria knows it's false, you know, which, which, pushes her onto this path of investigating it again meaning that that could be the actual point the actual point of this of this mastermind plan is to push victoria into doing exactly what she's doing right now that's a good point i hadn't thought of that um it also i mean you could also make the argument that this victoria's attack like each one of these attacks are targeted towards a different person and it's not the person that actually is getting hurt by it so this was a specific attack to target jessica and because it's jessica yamada it had to be a little more complicated a little a little more you know yeah that's true and yeah that that's the possibility victoria thinks so right and and that's um that's that's valid yeah i I think you're right um so i like this moment because i feel like it's at least partly a sign that tattletale started to see victoria as an ally or at least like as a human um she says as long as you stay more or less in my sight and avoid lying to me or giving me misinformation I don't need to. I don't need to lie to you, that is. But if we don't resolve this soon, I'm going to have to part ways because you have things to look after and so do I. And from that point, I'm going to bullshit you. And like, I, for some reason, it strikes me as very, it strikes me as progress for Tattletale to, yeah, I think so. Like, to like apologetically be like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to start lying to you. Like, like she values the fact that she doesn't have to lie to her right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this because Victoria's kind of understanding or maybe her her explanation for why Tattletale might have more respect for her or see her more on friendlier terms is that she's pushing back at her with a backhoe. Like mm-hmm. she's like she's Tattletale is the type of person that always takes a backhoe to everyone. And Victoria has been pushing back and, and going under the surface a little bit more. And and her explanation is, oh, Tattletale uh, respects me more now that I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go there with her. And I'm not I'm not sure that's it. Right. Like, I, I, I don't want to sit here and call her protagonist wrong without any other information. But from everything we know about Lisa, I feel like it's not just that. It's not just that, oh, you're willing to go there and therefore I respect you. I think I think Lisa's a more complex character than that. And she just puts up a big front. And I don't think that read is 100 percent accurate. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think I think I think Tattletale um, has this like nurturing side and, and the sensitive side that she keeps buried under all the sarcasm as as a protective mechanism and you know i don't know if it's like she saw something in victoria that suddenly brings out the nurturing part of her Uh, i don't know if it's that she was truly like cut by 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 victoria's remark and yeah and she's hurt you know it, it could be either of those it could be that she's hurt or it could be that she sees victoria as being hurt and is and is sort of being conciliatory i don't know which of those it is but i i actually agree with you that it's it's not it doesn't read true for for it to be Tattletale being like, oh yeah, thanks for talking back to me like that. Yeah, like that's just. I mean, we we we've been in her head enough to know. I, I don't think that quite. Works. Well, yeah, and part of me wonders, and I know her power isn't exactly reliable, especially these days. But part of me wonders if they're having this philosophical argument about the nature of Kate battling, and Victoria is outlining her position, and I wonder if if Tattletale gets a read on her that's like, oh, she really 
genuinely believes this. This is like genuinely what she wants. And she genuinely is just interested in, in helping people and, and, you know, not, not hurting people unless absolutely necessary and reestablishing this order where we stop the bad, bad guys, um, and, and don't like destroy all the other ones. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe there's something she's like, huh, she genuinely, like the, the, I recognize legitimate goodness in her where before she recognized only the, the glory girl parts of her, the glory hole parts of her, something she doesn't call her at all in these chapters. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're just like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I like that. I it, like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. So they continue to argue though now. So they, they're basically, they're disagreeing over whether all or just some parahuman relationships end in tears. Yeah. And I think this is the first moment where when on my initial read through, I was like, oh, we're going to do some pivoting now. We're going to pivot back to the whole Sveta Weld situation. And the thing that I like about this argument, not only is it setting up that, but I don't even think Victoria puts up that much of a fight. Like, cause she's like, no, just some of the relationships go bad. M- maybe even most of them, but not, not all. And then Tattletale is like, no, no, it's all, all of them. <laughs> and I think yeah. maybe in my head, maybe part of this is her subconsciously being like, I know Sveta and Weld are going to end in a disaster, but fingers crossed. Maybe. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Right. My, my boyfriend is dead. Uh-huh. Every, every, every relationship I've ever been involved in or witnessed has ended in tears. Mm-hmm. So maybe Tattletale is a point here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Tattletale at this point puts puts forth this idea that uh, the play here may be aimed at the more central team members. So like they're casting doubt on the weaker party in order to get at the stronger party. So like they're trying to get at Jessica by making Victoria look bad. Yeah. Trying to trying to get at countenance by making by insinuating problem, problems with Ratcatcher and and bringing up his dark past. Like it's. Um, what you mentioned earlier, and I think it's interesting because it's like, well, maybe you're supposed, maybe that's also a trap. Maybe you're supposed to think that. I don't know. I'm too confused now. I think you're, I think you're trying to overcomplicate yourself a little bit. I'm there. doing the thing. I'm doing the thing, huh? But it is this brilliant kind of mastermind move that targets people without specifically targeting them, right? Like, no, I wasn't targeting Jessica. Even if, even if a this conspiracy is is flushed out, it doesn't look like it's targeting Jessica, right? It's just yeah. targeting Victoria. We weren't targeting countenance. It was just rat catcher. Um, and it's it's terrible, right? Because the thing that I realized when going through this part that what whoever is behind this, what they are doing is fighting with a backhoe in the worst possible way, right? Like they are going below. They're going deep. They're going below the surface in the worst possible way. They are attacking people at their core, at the center of who they are, at their some of their most secret guarded um, feelings and emotions and weaknesses. And it, it's, uh, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, that's exactly what they're talking about. Like that's, that's, that's why Victoria is so fed up with this is she's right. tired of her, her very being being attacked when she's trying to get better. She's, she's in therapy and she's having someone like intentionally reverse engineer the worst possible thing to do to her. Yeah. So, yeah. So on Tattletale's suggestion, Vicky calls the team and she gets Sveta on the line and they agree on in-person only communication protocols. So I might be reading too much into this. 
But at this moment, we basically have Tattletail suggesting that these guys, whoever is responsible for this, are so closely able to monitor their targets that they basically know the moment that Ratcatcher passes out. Because the implication is maybe Ratcatcher sent the first couple of the text messages, but then passed out. And then what, whoever's responsible for this picked up the ball and then sent the really gross uh, snake ones. Um, yeah. so, so the implication here is that they're monitoring them, maybe not real time, but close to real time. And therefore, they might be monitoring us. They might be watching us make progress in this case. And then Victoria calls Sveta and and specifically talks to her about something that might be going on. She suggests the blackout. And then the next time we hear from Breakthrough, Sveta's shit has finally boiled over. Coincidence? Perhaps. Or, or someone uh, smells Victoria and, and Tattletail hot on their trail and wants to distract them in some way. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we learned that someone made a move against someone on Tattletail's side at about the same time that they made a move on someone on, on uh, Victoria's side. Like, Chicken Little is on the phone with Kenzie to tell Kenzie about the blackout. Maybe maybe Kenzie gets the diary. Maybe Kenzie's feeling about Chicken Little are dished to Darlene in some kind of way. Or maybe Kenzie is listening in on the entire conversation that they're about to have about her. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, ammunition that whoever this is could use against these teams. Right. Um, that's been set up and is just kind of now. Now it almost takes the form of a Chekhov's gun, or or at least it's a latent threat. Even though before it was just like, oh, this is potential, you know, grist for the drama mill. Now this is actually weapons this person could use against them. And yeah, I, I agree. After reflecting on it, um, and after you know, after reading the chapter and thinking about it, that you know, the fact that. Um, the fact that this chapter ends the way it does feels like um, another mastermind move to try to interrupt the investigation. Yeah, I mean, because what it does presumably is is sends Victoria rushing home to deal with her friend. Um, and we've just had Tattletail say, uh, if we separate at any point in this day after that moment, I'm going to start bullshitting you. Like she mm -hmm. just said that. And then immediately our, our characters are separated by circumstance. Not immediately, but a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, we'll see. So um, in the car, Aiden takes off his mask and has a heart to heart with Victoria about how much trouble he's having dealing with Kinsey. Oh, my God, Matt. <laughs> Talk about like having your heart ripped out. And, yeah. And throw, uh, there's uh, it's. Like we talked about before, he has this beat where he takes off his mask to talk to her, and I love this beat where he's like, OK, I'm about to talk to you about real shit. So I'm going to take off my mask because I want to I want us to be able to look face to face. Um, is Victoria wearing her mask in this part? I don't actually I'm not, know. I'm not sure. I, I don't think it was mentioned. I, I kind of looked for it on my reread. I didn't see a mention of it. Yeah. I'm going to make the assumption. No, uh, unless we're told otherwise. So it's like a real face to face, heart to heart conversation um, between these two characters. And of course, she notes that that Aiden's older than she thought. Um, and and it breaks my heart like the thing that I love about this is, is it's really revealed this innate kindness to Aiden and this kind of maturity too, because he he's, he's seeing this thing as a problem. He recognizes this thing as a problem. He's like, look, I'm the type of guy who I need to be alone sometimes. Like he's basically describing himself as an introvert, right? Like an introvert is a type of person who regathers their energy and centers themselves by being alone, not by being around other people. And I know it's more complicated than that. It's Cape master shit blah 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 but the point is that he needs time by himself to center himself and to check himself and to get back to being good he needs that 
And with Kenzie around, he can't have it. And he, he recognizes that right now it's okay, but it's going to get to be a problem. And the, the thing he's doing is reaching out to someone, talking to someone, like saying, look, this is going to be an issue. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to seem like I'm manipulating her. I genuinely care about her. I like being around her, but I also can see the end of this line and it's going to be a problem. Help me. What do I do? Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. She really doesn't have a lot to, to give him. She's very em- empathetic with it. Um, with, with the whole situation. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's like you said, it's, it's just really heartbreaking scene. Yeah. I mean, she, she promises that she's going to talk to Kenzie. Um, and that's great. I'm glad that you're like saying, okay, I recognize this problem. I'm going to try to do what I can to help you out with it. But what can she do? Right? Like, I mean, like, will a talk with Kenzie be like, Hey, um, like, I feel like if you go to Kenzie and say, Hey, um, you're, you're coming on a little too strong with Aiden. I think, I think that could potentially send her spiraling in a worse way. You know, like I just, this whole thing is like so precarious and, and I feel so bad for both sides. Like I, I, like I feel bad for Aiden and I respect the hell out of this kid who's like willing to try to navigate the situation as best he can. But I feel bad for Kenzie too, who's like, she's being herself and it it just brings up all these di- difficult difficult issues yeah i mean if i had to if i if i was in victoria's shoes i would actually just like go to ashley and be like hey yeah, ashley you need to like this is what's going on and then ashley would would because ashley is able to kind of say things like that to her like you know you're you're, yeah, you're not sticking true. to your rules it's very important that people like us stick to our rules um always like we can't we can't actually afford to to be sloppy I think that's what Ashley would, you know, say something along those lines. Like this isn't something where we we put in the energy for a while and then we get bored with it and we go back to being the way we were. Like we we can't afford to be that way. Um, I don't know. That I I think I think Swan Song would have a, a better a better chance at having this conversation. Actually, yeah, I think you're right. And, and we see here through his conversation the danger around this. Right, he reminds us is like I feel like if keep if things keep going like this after she connected, I'm going to be the one to unconnect. Or Darlene is, and I keep hearing about Darlene's bad side, but I've never seen it. Or Candy is, and I feel like Candy would treat the problem like she treats a lot of things, like she'd use her power and try to fix it in one big obvious move that doesn't really work. And you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. Yeah. We've seen Darlene's bad side. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, right. That's foreboding. Yeah, it is. There's so much. It's it's so. And like poor Victoria is like dealing with her shit then she's like oh god i got this too oh god oh god right um there's just so it everything is so like precariously balanced right now and yeah uh, i mean the chapter these chapters are going out of their way i think to be like let me remind you and re-emphasize how precarious everything actually is and 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 this probably all of these things could could actually be sorted out Unless, of course, an enemy <laughs> comes along and like precisely torpedoes the exact precise structural members that keep yeah. the relationships functioning. Yeah, it, so. it, it just so happens that there's someone out there that is specifically wanting to attack people right where they are most vulnerable. Here's everyone's vulnerabilities, yeah. by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, now I'm scared. <laughs> Um, And then there's this last part that I wanted to talk about. We kind of hinted towards this before where uh, 
Chicken Little says she talks about you guys a lot. She misses you, you, Ashley and Chris. And I think this is specific. I think this is targeted. It's reminding us that Kenzie, even after everything Chris has done um, and and possibly continues to do. And and after everything that Kenzie has been told by Ashley about Chris and his behavior and how she shouldn't accept it. She's still on the Chris train. She still really likes him. She still wants him around, misses him, wants him back, cares about him, um, which isn't great, man. Yeah. And this is why I'm starting to think, like, if Kenzie gets a hold of the diary, if she reads Victoria's diary, I I think you and I talked last week about, like, oh, maybe she's going to be, like, devastated because she'll learn that, like, she'll learn that oh victoria didn't really care about me but now i'm starting to think oh maybe she'll actually just be like totally on board for this stuff because when it comes to people that she cares about she's willing to look past just about everything they do it doesn't matter what they do it seems like the only thing that that really really pisses her off is when like one of her special people attacks another one especially if they're higher up in her hierarchy of of who's important which she explicitly enumerates yeah helpfully <laughs> i like ashley more than you victoria um but but yeah like uh I, I think that's a that's a valid reading yeah 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 so they finally reach big picture's apartment and as a refresher we meet we actually met big picture in 2.x mm-hmm. uh, he was in crystal clear's interlude and he didn't seem like a massive creep at the time but what's interesting like uh, i immediately realized we were seeing him from crystal clear's crystals and that dude isn't known for his social perceptiveness. That's very so true. Maybe he was being a creep. He <laughs> could could be. So anyway, big picture, his power, he can split off clones of his mind and run them in parallel and slow down his perceptions and spend more time studying his perceptions. Um basically in 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 2.x he actually said he can spend months studying like any particular piece of anything in his environment. Like, like kind of a ridiculously good thinker power, actually. Yeah. And and he's a rogue who uh, in his private life, he's a professional photographer who takes borderline exploitative photos of K-53s and, and others. Um, so big, big picture being an even more appropriate name, actually. Yeah. And this is, again, I think this whole interaction, I think, is very much us. All signs point to Sveta. And I think the end of the chapter confirms that right like we're we're, yeah. we're going down a path where we've been talking about relationships now we've been talking about digging um under the surface and now suddenly we are here and talking about someone obsessed with case 53 someone that sveta does not like yeah all, there's all these fraught connections lying around yeah yeah, yeah. um so i don't know this is a tangent but like it's interesting that he has this power where he can like study details in in super acuity and you just have to wonder if he's like if this whole conversation he's not just like super digging into them and studying all their details and everything yeah especially since victoria is kind of so put off by the entire conversation like yeah the way like the way he looks like he he stares at tattletale when answering a question and she's like oh this guy gives me the creeps and it's almost it's almost there i think to make you kind of think that he is that on some level he's he's working his way through this entire conversation um with his power i i assume that he is actually that's that's probably why why wouldn't you you have two people trying to investigate someone show up at your door to ask you questions like i think i think you're gonna use your power and and he's seeming nonchalant but that's that means nothing Yeah. yeah I also like how he's like, I just think it's funny that he 
has this ability to like not slow down time, but perceive stuff in a different time to where he can spend months on one thing. Yeah. But it's also like, I don't have time to talk to you guys right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do we make of Victoria avoiding the handshake? She doesn't like him. She does not like this dude, but she doesn't know him either. Like she specifically yeah. says, I know of him, I thought. And she's heard stories. She's probably been told from Sveta over and over again about this guy and how he's actually terrible. And she doesn't really want to show a sign of respect here. If she doesn't have to, she, I think it's a great way of kind of setting the tone of her feelings toward this conversation going into it, that she's just not into this whole thing. She doesn't like him. She doesn't want to show him any sign of respect. Not interested. I, I like how she's kind of being the bad cop in this scene. Yeah, you know, you're right. Like, like right. she's standoffish. She's like, she's not looking at him. She's looking at the pictures, being cold, and then she like storms out basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Tattletail is actually almost like trying to connect. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So, and they and they do it subconsciously. Like, there's no, yeah, there's no specific coordination there. True, true. So big pictures issue uh, that got him dropped from foresight was that he knew way too much about how to talk professional crimes against humanity language with Orchard. <laughs> Which is, uh, as you pointed out, the the not the first time Orchard has been mentioned in the last couple weeks. Yep. It's almost yep. as if we're moving somewhere with this pretty soon, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Reintroducing this and tying it to a bunch of different plot elements. Yeah. And, and in this part, we learned that Big Picture was researching Orchard on his own because he wanted to be a Case 53. He, he loved them so much that he wanted to be transformed into one because he stopped because he was worried about something. And Tattletale fills us in on his worry by, by mentioning that Orchard is known for brainwashing people, which I'm sure makes... Victoria feel just great about her earlier. Uh, maybe see if I can find them to help solve Sveta's problem thing. Yeah. So it's a bio ticker that also brainwashes you. Great. 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 That's a b- bingo. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I don't know. Let's talk for a bit about the descriptions of these pictures of K-53s on the walls. Because like these pictures are just utterly haunting to me despite being text. Like I can see them in my mind when I yeah. close my eyes. Yeah. For example, Gentle Giant was an adult, and the picture had him standing with his back to the camera. And by the look of it, he wasn't standing tall, but bent forward, head ducked down slightly, his eye glancing over his shoulder in a wary or uncomfortable way. Mottled, mossy skin with a bare back, buttocks, and the backs of his thighs. It's just so, like, uh, there's this whole scene is so uncomfortable and creepy yeah. and perfect. Yeah, I mean, like that's a, another I'm I'm going to keep talking about mystery story tropes, but we're 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 bouncing in between suspects or or other characters. Um and we like we keep coming up against different personalities. Like that's the thing, like you interview different personalities, right? And each interaction is a little bit different and you have to struggle your way through it in a different way. And Ratcatcher was kind of the zany weirdo and this guy is the uncomfortable person, like the scene where you just want out of the door as much as possible. Like, it's not quite the same thing, but you've seen Zodiac, right? Yeah, I was thinking of exactly what okay. you're talking about. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just the scene where, like, you enter the room and the everything is wrong. The pictures are all looking at you. They're all dark in some kind of way. Like, I love, you're absolutely right. Gentle Giant is like, he's he's a tall guy, but he's 
he's ducked over with his back to the camera and he's like looking at like I imagine his eyes are following you like Chantilly's in this defensive posture Gilly's eye is like dark and like foreboding and it's just like these these all the photographs lining the wall that are like dark and looking at you in in unsettling ways and you're just totally uncomfortable i love it i love it well and it's like this guy what he's getting out of these pictures is not the form of the k-53s he's like trying to capture their pain right and and then like surrounding himself with it so he can enjoy it basically that's my take anyway yeah no i think you're right i think i think you're absolutely right and it's yeah it's unsettling in a very real tangible kind of way and Victoria is absolutely picking up on that. And the writing reflects that beautifully. Like it's not just the, the physical descriptions of the paintings themselves. It's like he, the tone throughout this whole thing, like the, the way Wildbo writes, not just those descriptions, but everything the, the how he's talking, how he's standing, how he's holding himself, the way he's looking at other characters. And the thing that I love about it is like, she picks up no uncomfort from Tattletale. Like Tattletale does yeah. not seem to feel the same way she does. We, we get really no indication that chicken little does either. Um, yeah, but it's uh, just he, like, he, he, I think he doesn't like the pictures necessarily, yeah. but yeah. yeah, but that's it. Yeah. Um, it's great. And so Victoria then thinks of, uh, Sveta's very negative opinion of big picture. And she sort of turns over in her head, the idea that maybe the case is three community is blowing things out of proportion. And like, maybe he's not that bad, but, Probably not. He probably is that bad. Yeah. And like at, at, at her most generous, she's like big picture is just like kind of an idiot who can't fathom that what he's doing is hurting people. But but even that she doesn't believe like she's like, no, I, I think he knows he's hurting people. He doesn't care. Yeah. This is really fascinating, right? Because yeah, she walks into this meeting almost ready to hate him. Right. We like mm-hmm. we establish immediately not interested in shaking his hand. Nope. And then she finds herself stopping and trying to come up with alternate reasoning. She says to herself, when in doubt, assume circumstances beyond their control. Assume context. When that failed, assume ignorance. And even there, seeing how he'd done well, how he didn't seem stupid or incapable, I couldn't apply a label. When that failed, I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. So she's like almost bending over backwards to try to justify his behavior, which historically she's been like, hyper defensive of Sveta like anyone that would hurt or could hurt or has hurt Sveta she's just like fuck that guy yeah like I hate like like she Weld even like Weld talks about breaking up with her and she like almost physically attacks him like immediately right right? and I think she the, the fact that she seems unwilling to do that in this case is very interesting and I think perhaps perhaps it's Uh, an effect of the diary, right? Perhaps seeing herself from another perspective that's close to her own, but not the same has made her reconsider how quickly she judges people, maybe wanting to try to see someone in a different context, wanting to see if there's an underlying reason for someone's behavior that might not appear that might from the, from a certain angle appear to be the least generous interpretation of someone's behavior. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what this is. I agree completely. Like, that she's she's just she's just had she's just been exposed to the realization that someone if they read that diary could just easily have just this terribly poisonous impression of her and she's trying to be like all right i need to give this guy the benefit of the doubt like partly because i'm feeling vulnerable right now about that kind of thing but also just for this to be an effective investigation I i need to be open to the idea that that 
something's being done that's making me think worse of him than he deserves. Yeah. Um, so it's pragmatic in addition to being like emotional, I think. Yeah. But interestingly enough, she's still just, just like, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. She's just like, she, she, she works through that entire thing and she's working through and she's trying to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And then she kind of gets to the end of the line and can't find one. And then it's just like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Right. I tried. Yeah. Did my best. Yeah. And, and she leaves like before Tattletale's finished, she leaves Tattletale in there. We don't actually like get any clues. Like we don't, we came here because our, our lead from foresight was like, okay, there's these two people that fell out of favor with us. And we got a little bit of clues from Ratcatcher. We might get more clues here, but we, the reader don't see the clues. We don't see the conclusion of this conversation because she fucking says later and leaves Tattletale to finish everything up. Yeah. Right. This moment, though, just have to pull this out. Oh, boy. Chicken little paused before leaving. Thank you for inviting us in. They're really good pictures. Thank you, Big Picture said. They're dark, though. They can be, Big Picture said, turning to look at Gully's picture, her head, face, and dreads seeming to emerge from the picture out of the darkness and into light. <laughs> and, and, like, my brain, like, turned that into a movie of him, like, turning his back to the camera. Yeah. Of yeah. seeing, like, his creepy silhouette against the picture and then, like, maybe cutting to show, like, a, uh, you know, too, a little too much of a shine in his eyes as he stares at it. Right, right. Um, and, and obviously, Chicken Little's talking about the pictures themselves. Uh, big <laughs> picture is talking about the Case 53s. Yeah. Um, which yeah. the text almost confirms that for us by... Uh, by Tattletale's line as Victoria's walking out. We don't get to see the end of it, but it's something to the effect of like, um, and did you want to be part of that darkness? Is that why? Like, mm -hmm. and it's just like, ugh, ugh, this I, guy. I think, yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. I think Tattletale's, I think she's starting to put the screws in, honestly. Yeah. Um, and it's actually kind of a shame we don't get to see her go full bore Tattletale. I know. I wish um, I could have seen how the rest of this conversation played out. Yeah. 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 Two thinkers battling each other. In in an interrogation would have been great. Yeah, right. Ex expending gigajoules of shard energy. <laughs> um, I said so, tinkers. I meant thinkers. You yeah, you got it. I got you. I auto corrected that in my brain. <laughs> um, so the chapter ends with Rain calling Victoria, breaking the communication blackout to tell her that Weld has shown up at the base and all hell is breaking loose. Yay. Yep. And so we leave on the most painful cliffhanger ever after two chapters of talking about Cape relationships, talking about Case 53s. Uh, the weld bomb has finally gone off and yep. uh, it couldn't have been at the, a better time. Yep. Hooray. Yep. Well, that's so, our chapters. So that's it <laughs> for this week. And uh Yeah good stuff can't wait to see how this resolves i'm i'm extremely into this um into this arc so. yeah i mean i i can't i can't speak to i like i can't be too praising of of how the story's going right now like i love it i love yeah. this this is quickly shaping up to be my favorite arc in the story i love everything it's doing i love the the things it's playing and i love the character interactions i love the conversations that are happening it is heartbreaking and 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 like really like emotionally affecting but i just i love it i love it yeah all right let's get into some uh, community spotlight scott all right so uh the question from last week was who wrote the diary and why and i think the intent here was like why like why did they write it not why do you believe they wrote it yeah um, like we got like, the story 
we got like a million answers to this yeah, question. We got like t- 26 of you crazy people <laughs> answered this. T- 26. So we're going to so, kind of go through them kind of fast. Pretty fast. Yeah. Pretty fast. Okay. Let's let's just do it. Sure. Sarah, Sarah Penguin, she lists all the possibilities. She says, teacher trying to sabotage the heroes. Dinah trying to make capes in general look bad as part of her apparent overall scheme. We don't really know to what end. Earth C trying to sabotage the coordination of their enemies. And uh, Dragon, who thinks she's doing the right thing. And then possibly Contessa for unknown reasons. So which of those, before we get into the rest of these, because I think this is a great answer to open up with because Sarah Penguin kind of outlines them all. Which of those do you think has the most weight to it? Well, I think, um, okay, well, I guess off the bat, I will say my preferred interpretation is that um, Dinah is definitely involved somehow, but I don't necessarily think that this is her plot. I just think that she's involved somehow. And I also think teacher is probably more proximally involved in actually planting the stuff. Uh, yeah, actually, actually like, like planting the diary, for example, or, or right. having his tinkers do it. Yeah. Um, one, one or both of them actually. And, and I'm not, I'm not insinuating that they're working together. I just think this is a 52 Xanatos uh, pileup. <laughs> if you're familiar with the, with the term where yeah. anytime you have multiple, multiple masterminds interfering, then it just gets incredibly ridiculous. So yeah. anyway, I mean, I, I, I like that. Like a, a teacher's like we've, we've been doing stuff with teacher in the background for a while now. Um, we have this whole scapegoat check off scapegoat hanging out. Um, and yeah, Dinah's been this like mysterious background thing. Like we just, at the end of the last arc got reminded that Dinah was, is doing something by Citrine and her conversations that Kenzie annoyingly turned off because they weren't <laughs> important to her. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that seems reasonable to me. I like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, but anyway, next up we have King Curly who says teacher. Why? Because teacher's an asshole. Simple answer. I like it, which is actually like how much of teacher's plans have, have had like a, a really like great, (laughs) like reasoning behind them. Right. It's mostly just cause I can. It seems like it. I mean, he he said something vague about wanting to to build a new order and organization at some point. But he wasn't too precise about it, right? Yeah, like a lot of people have been saying, like teacher wants to build a new entity, and why would he want to do that? Yeah, yeah, because he can. Cause yeah, he, cause yeah, it, he wants to be fun. He wants to do big dramatic things. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Megafire uh, says, "Teacher, uh, who knows why." Didn't even try Megafire. <laughs> Didn't even try. <laughs> I, re- I wrote this in the thread, but I really expected Megafire to write an essay on why it's definitely Carol. But, yeah, uh, we too, didn't get too. that. It's a shame. Uh, Feridian uh, answers, and this this answer was also mentioned by the Steven Zubinator, that uh, they think it's an AI copy of Victoria made by Kenzie, who's being controlled by teacher. But seriously, this is a really excellent and well thought out theory. I, I recommend reading the whole comment and also a whole separate thread about it. The basic idea is that we already know Kenzie can and does make AI sim- simulacra of her friends, and we have shreds of evidence that she may already be compromised by teacher. There's also elements in the diary of things that Kenzie would want to believe about Victoria. Yeah, I read that thread. It's really fascinating. Like, I think it's cool because it doesn't mean that the like the teacher or the Dinah guesses are wrong it's just kind of explaining the method and mm-hmm. and i gotta say that that has some intrinsic value to it i i i like it i like 
and it, and it, like it really reinforces the fact that we've slowly been pushing Kenzie into the center focus a little bit here mm-hmm. over these last two chapters. Yeah, so. I, I I like the idea that Kenzie could be compromised, but not bad, right? Right, like, right. Like they could, you know, it would be a great win actually if they could get teachers' hooks out of her, if, if that is indeed the case. So, I think that's a cool possibility. Calinero nine eight five says it was teacher and uh, that he has a history of pulling off elaborate schemes that somehow work, and he's a forger who was previously able to fool dragon. So these are two things that he you know is presumably trying to do right now. He's he, he forged he forged this document that successfully successfully fooled dragon and apparently he's done that in the past. So yeah, oh yeah, I like that. Makes um, sense. I like that. Uh, yeah. G- the the i forgot that he fo- he's full dragon before so yeah that, that makes sense i like that yeah yeah i like that connection yeah uh bregal bregalad hs says Wildbo wrote the, wrote the diary to show us that he can Tr- true yes. jokes aside they suspect that kenzie is involved and also sees a possibility that the seamerg is ultimately behind it yeah, that that's interesting i mean it's funny cuz when when you have like dina and contessa and the seamerg and it's like what who has the trump who has the trump here or or is there no trump and do they just like pile up mm-hmm. and 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 completely derail each other's plans i don't know it's interesting yeah, yeah. data snake 69 says the uh that uh the similarities between how victoria is portrayed in the diary and some of the less charitable interpretations of tattletale's character uh line up both in and out of universe basically they, they say uh, everybody tends to see lisa as really manipulative particularly uh, of Taylor. Now we're, we're speaking out of universe here. The readers tend to see Lisa as manipulative of Taylor. Um, when in Lisa's own mind, her motivations are pure. And this is kind of a parallel to what's happening uh, with the diary. Um, I, me, Matt, actually <laughs> thought that this was going a different way. I thought that the point of this post was going to be that the diary kind of sounds like Tattletale's power voice, where it's like super uncharitable to everyone digging out the most negative possible motivations behind everything. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Hmm. Maybe the real suspect was the friend we made yeah. along the way. That's, I mean, that would be what, that would be a twist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see that happening, but it is, it, it, there, there are some th- supported bits of that. I like that. Yeah. 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 Up next, we have Samwich, who said Ashley wrote the diary because she was tired of Victoria not noticing her non-Plutonic sub- Plutonic subtext. So, yeah, that's like, hey, hey, yeah. there's Good something answer. going on here. This is what you should be writing in your diary, Victoria. She, should, she could have spelled it out a little bit more. <laughs> she didn't spend a lot of page space on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rid Tom says Tuttletail's ex-hacker friend who she fired wrote the diary. Uh, I think the argument... Basically, here is that uh, wouldn't this be a subversion yes, <laughs> of expectations? That definitely would be. That definitely would be. Yeah. Uh, Beard of Valor says the text points to teacher and metatextually, he's the biggest unresolved plot thread. What bugs Beard of Valor is how teacher would know the name of the wretch. But maybe teacher can leverage his clear audience for this. Does he? he he has a clear audience. I think he's. I think he's demonstrated having not not literal clear audience, but people with limited ability to hear everything in in range. Hmm. Okay. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's actually a lot of evidence pointing at teacher, but I 
it could still all be red herring evidence. So yeah. Benthic Kraken goes into pretty much the whole list of candidates in quite a lot of depth, including Sveta, March, and Cradle, which are suggestions that I hadn't seen elsewhere. Hmm. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the details because it was a long post. I'm just, I just thought it was interesting that this poster um, detailed like a lot of evidence that we had access to. And even though some of these are pretty far-fetched, like March, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I was like, okay, cool. Like, like good job for collating it all in one place and, and exploring some of these weird possibilities. Is is the Mar- I, ha- I hadn't read this comment. Is the March one like behind the grave, like beyond the grave fuckery? Like she set this all up, like I I don't her, even like remember as a death exactly. wish. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Googleplex Byte says narratively, it should be Victoria who wrote the diary. Understanding the power that's making people sabotage themselves will help her understand what her sister did to her. But in a separate post, they said they want Chris to have written it as a narrative way of reflecting off Victoria. Yeah, yeah. They they made a couple different posts with different um, points, and I thought that was that was cool. I mean, that's the thing is I like I I like this general concept that um, if it turns out actually Victoria it was just you like thematically. I think that ha- that has some meat to it, but I also think that point can be achieved without it actually being her that wrote it. Right. Like the, the, um, the understanding of herself on a greater level through the experience of the diary can, can be gained without her being the actual one responsible for it right. still because her acknowledgement that it sounds so close to her. Yeah, I, I do. I do enjoy this idea that a, a way to to help her understand her sister would be to to notice that she is sabotaging herself in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And being like, oh, shit, that's what that's what's going on with Amy. I get it. Like, I yeah. get what it's like to be in her situation now. And that that can be part of the, the path to not like just blaming her for it. Yeah, I like that. Lost Man 138. Uh, Eschews actually naming a culprit, but says that the motive is probably undermining Victoria's network of cape organizations and generally sowing discord between hero teams. Yes, I agree. Makes sense. Kasubalu V2 gives a long and well thought out post where he discusses the means and motive for Dinah, Teacher, and Earthsea to be behind this. But I think the most interesting candidate they bring up is the Wardens. Specifically, that a small fraction of heroes could be doing this as a method to attack non-Warden hero groups, breaking them up and making them easy for the Wardens to recruit. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, depressing. It's depressing and it made a lot, like it, it, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, it, it actually harkens back to like in, in, uh, implications that the Wardens are doing. I, I don't want to say shady, but like definitely kind of like psyops type stuff right, for the right. beginning of the story, which they, yeah, I think we get basically confirmed that they are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that I like that post. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they talked about more stuff than just that, but that I wanted it because it was kind of a unique take. I wanted to pull out. Yeah. Kachortu uh, brings up a theory from another poster named uh dendera fields that the diary was from an alternate universe brought here by scapegoat at teacher's behest <laughs> i like that i like yeah. that that's the alternate universe theory yeah I, it's great yeah D- dark mirror victoria wrote yeah. it yeah yeah um 
I don't know how to pronounce this name. M. Kevac. M. Kevac is the first to mention the notion that Victoria may have dissociative identity disorder and may have written the diary herself. Perhaps she actually has a separate wretch personality. There's some interesting potential here that Amy bungled her restoration, creating a suppressed personality. It would be in line with the themes of the story if one of the greatest antagonists was Victoria herself as a manifestation of her trauma. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's similar. It's similar, but I think a little bit distinct from the idea that like there's it's one take to say Victoria wrote it. It's another take to say a sub personality inside Victoria wrote it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Dashelger says that they think the clairvoyant was involved in gathering the information used in the plot. That's just kind of a detail they thought was uh, was interesting. And I yeah, think yeah, the ma- clairvoyant maybe clairvoyant still is out there. Huh? Yeah, they're, they're still out there. I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, me for Mars thinks Dragon is behind it. Dragon should have noticed it was a teacher fabrication if that's what it was. Dragon is an entity that we know for a fact could carry out this exact kind of attack. We know she'd shed her limits. She has, she absolutely has the means. Does she have the motive? Perhaps she sees the reason to, perhaps she has a reason to believe that throwing some good capes under the bus will stall or avert the big threat that looms over the megalopolis. Yeah, I'm loving these um, out of left field takes that make me really suspicious of of beloved heroes. Yeah, apparently uh, everyone just hates every character. Yeah, every character is is this is really paranoid. I I, I love this question because it's made me very paranoid now. <laughs> Turns out, who wrote the diary was everybody. Uh, Paimon thinks the diary was made by Waste her shard, which is, is kind of a. Th- third distinct way of saying victoria did it the idea that the shard did it Mm -hmm. very interesting yeah this is a fairly popular theory at least from the posts that i read and i don't know i don't know how i feel about it i i feel like i just have a very hard time imagining like what that would look like (laughs) well so so like i mean at this point like these theories were all written before like um this before at least some of these chapters last week came that's out. True, so like, that's true. So like waste couldn't have like done the text messages to Ratcatcher's phone. Right. So, and, and there's, there's some of these theories I think are eliminated by what we know now. Like, I think this one is pretty soundly eliminated by what we know now. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, some of them are not though. So true. True. Sile thinks Natalie was involved. Basically the diary is a former revenge against Victoria for quote, yeeting unquote her beloved boss and just for the fact that victoria looks kind of looks down on natalie i believe that's our good friend kira who wrote this yeah that's correct and uh she's great it's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer yep I yep, yep 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 i mean definitely out of the box thinking mm-hmm. now i'm suspicious of literally literally everyone in the story i think yeah yeah now that we got natalie on there <laughs> natalie yeah that's what you get for talking shit about my puffy jacket <laughs> Uh, Anti-Chris says Dinah wrote the diary in order to continue the story-long trend of pushing Vicky uh, more into being less of a human and more of a fucky sort of monster, destroying her support network and alienating her from her friends. It's a well-timed, uh, sorry, it's as well-timed as Dinah's two notes to Taylor in terms of hitting a character at a vulnerable point and changing their trajectory. I like that because we've we've said Dinah before. But we haven't really outlined like a, a reason behind it. And I like that Antichrist is kind of trying to develop a reason here that um, specifically pushing Victoria towards something will yeah. be important. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Because a big part of the question that we asked as phrased was, 
why did the character do this? And I think that's like, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that's a good answer. Yeah. Nihil Supernum uh, says Waste wrote the diary. Why? And they answer this, this question in the form of a short piece of fiction. Waste wants to communicate its own perspective to Victoria. This isn't a time bomb meant to ruin Victoria's life. It's Waste trying to connect to communicate. I, I like that. I don't think it's accurate, but <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty I, sure it's been kind of disproven. Yeah, now, but, but I, I do. Cool. I do like that as a, as a certain view of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is even the ex- even the answers that I like that we know are wrong now. I'm still like, yeah, that's cool. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Farm Fresh Hornets uh, says none of the well-crafted and convincing theories that we've seen above are correct. We're being <laughs> set up. We've been given incomplete data and we're going and we're going to collectively draw incorrect conclusions from it just like tattletale will tattletale will make a wrong call and we won't be able to blame her because we will have collectively made the same call and it's all going to pay off wonderfully uh and i also like that this poster's point that tattletale getting a big win at this point in the story feels wrong for her arc so her you know her and victoria succeeding in stopping whatever this is doesn't feel right I, yeah. I don't know. It could, it could work, but I, I I kind of agree with them on that, actually. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I think that would be a great way to get us to understand Tattletale on a certain level, because that is pretty much what we're doing is we're taking little pieces of evidence and we're extrapolating them out uh, really far and seeing if we can make a conclusion from them. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. we could be wrong. Yeah, we're and going down. I'm sure we are in some way. Yeah, it's, it's the television thing, except instead of television, we're blaming Natalie. Yeah. So I don't know. To be fair, Matt, puffy jacket. Remember, you're right. You're remember, the puffy jacket will be like the rallying cry <laughs> of the humans at their own personal Alamo. Oh my God! Yeah, you're right. That's it. Uh, Loger or Eoger, I don't know which one. Uh, also thinks the diary came from the wardens. The wardens have been a mysterious background force in the story, and there have been many lengthy, unexplained disappearances of the warden forces. Jessica knows about this and is actually sending a kind of message to Victoria by stonewalling her. She's raising a flag that says, hey, look how I'm behaving. It's obviously something is up. Jessica Yamada would never block her client's phone. That's that's a, I like that take. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't think that one's right either, but I I quite enjoy it. It's my favorite take because it rehabilitates and exonerates Jessica completely. Mhm. Cuz she would never do anything <laughs> yeah. wrong. Yeah. Our our desperate need to make sure Jessica is always right. I understand it. I get it. Yep. Uh finally last answer Xdas Nivo, I don't know how to read that. Says uh who has the means, motive and opportunity? expert at gathering evidence would benefit from the destabilization of the status quo and has a potential backdoor to dragon dot amy's amy's little pet Uh uh-huh how does dot have a backdoor to dragon look into it uh i I, i'm not sure on that one honestly (laughs) Not, not entirely sure um, I mean, like one thought is like, I don't know, she's a Nilbog creature and Nil- and so Nilbog, Nilbog maybe, or the, the machine army somehow, dragon, mach- I don't know. I wasn't sure, but I just, I loved it so much. Anyway. It's Dot, I'm convinced. It's Dot. So yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. So many answers. That so many great you guys. answers. Yeah. Thanks really for fun. playing with us on this one. This was a more fun question. Um, yeah. I, I I I hope one of you got it right. I hope like Wild Bo's sitting here going, yes, excellent. Yes. And it's the one they definitely think is wrong. Right. I love it. Dot. It's definitely dot. 
All right, discussion question for this week. Discuss sometimes Wildo has blended elements of different genres and what effects does that create? And feel free to go beyond parahumans in your answers, although, of course, we're not going to read those answers on yeah, the show. I can't um, read them. But, like, you, I mean, it's kind of obvious why I'm asking this question, y'all. No. This, he, the thing is, we're not, like, the story didn't change suddenly into being a detective story. What what he's doing is he's blending in elements of detective stories in a way that's completely organic. And he's he's done this, he does this all the time, actually. Uh, in, in ways where you don't even necessarily notice that's what he's doing. He's just kind of using tools that the literary world has left lying around. And yeah, please point out some of those uh, examples for us. Yeah, that's a good question. Can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Cool. I hope you use Dot as an example. Me too. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over at our twitter account at gotwormpod remember i'm going to start trying to do the fan art friday stuff so start sending me fan art guys send it to me do it i want to do it i want to see it i want to share it let's show the world maybe it'll make people read this book i don't know i don't know sure Fuck it. Um, <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And, of course, you can find this show and every other show we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you'll find Deep Impact, uh, Deep Dive into Pact. That's where you'll find the Doofcast. Uh, we did a show on the first episode of Game of Thrones last week because we liked it, which is rare. Yeah, and then I actually like the second episode even more. I know, it's weird. What's happening? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can do- donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our uh, quarterly fan art contest like the one coming up, the costume contest we run around Halloween time, Q&A sessions with uh, me and Scott and um, others in some cases uh, yeah. as of recently, uh, and access to live streams of our recording sessions like this one and our excellent Discord chat where we hang out all day. Special thanks this week to new Bidoofs David A. at the $1 level and Doof Troop member Michael T. at the $10 level. We really appreciate y'all. Yeah, thanks guys so much. I really... <laughs> I really like how you said we hang out all day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty honest, honestly. Um, We're always there. We are. There's a lot Uh, of great stuff happening in the Discord channel right now. Um, The guys that are running Deep Impact, Elliot and Ruben, are trying to organize some social gaming things where people in the the Discord are meeting up to play certain games together, Uh, not just video games. They're uh, trying to meet up to play tabletop games or trying to get games that we were dice uh, and D and D off the, the floor. So it's, it's cool. It's an exciting time to be in the discord. I'm very excited to see how all that goes. Um, so now's a great time to join. That's right. Um, and while you're over there on Patreon, getting access to that discord, uh, be sure to drop by Wildbo's Patreon page, patreon.com slash Wildbo. Think about the fact that he writes you like, two books worth of entertainment per month yeah consider it's a lot of the books monetary value of that <laughs> and then while that's floating around in your head donate to him as well because <laughs> this is his world we're just playing in it we are and if you cannot afford to donate right now to us 
that's absolutely okay. You can't instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. These things matter. They do um, show up. Uh, they do help people find us and, and make our podcast look more legit, which obviously I need a lot of help with make being more <laughs> legit. Um, this week's review comes from Quinlet, who gives us five stars and says, It's delightful to listen to skilled readers discussing Wildbo's work. It's shown me aspects of the story I hadn't seen before and helped me to better appreciate Worm. I enthusiastically recommend this podcast. Well, I enthusiastically thank you for that review. That was very kind of you. And thank you, everyone who takes the time to do that. Like I said, it really does help us out. We appreciate you all taking the time. It means so much to us. Uh, I don't know how to say thank you more. It's I, I, it, it's so yes. it's so nice to read. <laughs> it's, I know. I, it, I'm it warms enthusiastically my heart. happy. Yes. 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 Uh, well, that's it for this week's show. Next week on the show, we continue through the relationship drama that is Ward. Is this going to be like that episode of Friends where Rachel and Ross break up and then we're the ones like locked in one of the bedrooms, stuck there listening to them talk all night for hours or something? God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>